Hello, welcome to The Making of Me, a monologue show where music creators discuss their work and an event that contributed to who they are today. When you bought my drinks tonight, did you mean to brush my hand? When you played my favorite song, did you know I'd want to dance? When I caught you staring at me, why didn't you look away? I know we're just friends, at least that's what we say. So my full name is Olivia Joy Lane, but I go by Olivia Lane. I'm from Houston, Texas originally, and I am a country singer-songwriter. So I was born and raised in Texas, and I was there until I was about 16. And I begged my parents for like six months to move from Houston to Los Angeles because Nashville wasn't really on my radar yet because being a songwriter hadn't quite clicked for me. I just knew I loved music. So I begged my parents because I saw, you know, people like Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez, girls who were from Texas moving out there to pursue their dreams because they were doing music and acting and I saw that and I was like that's what I want so I thought and so finally after a couple of like six months uh, of begging they said yes and so my mom went with me and then my dad went back and forth between Houston and LA so it was just me and my mom for most of the time like she I'm really really blessed my parents have been so supportive and she really took one for the family team because she moved out there knowing absolutely nobody. And I had school, so I was meeting people and hanging out, and she was lonely. Um, So we talk about that time often just because at the time I was so selfish and not really caring about her feelings because I was a moody teenager, you know? Um, But I, I really am very thankful that she did that for me. I look back on that time in my life, being 16 years old and having the conviction of wanting to move to a completely different city in the middle of high school. Like, that doesn't make any sense for a high schooler. You want to stay with your friends and be somewhere where you're comfortable, but not I. I was a theater major in college, and about my sophomore year, I just was unhappy. I wasn't resonating with acting anymore, and that's a terrifying feeling because I was there to be a theater major. So I was like, well, I'm in college. I might as well experiment with other things. And I saw that songwriting was a thing. And I was like, oh, well, I've played guitar and I've written a couple songs. Just, I don't know. I don't know really much about songwriting, but I'm going to dive into it because at the time also Taylor Swift was becoming huge and she was a young female. And I was like, oh, you can move to Nashville and become a songwriter? What? So... I dove into songwriting in college and my world, I mean, flipped upside down. It was, I hadn't felt that passion for my art in a really long time. And I was like, well, I guess I have to chase this, whatever's going on in my heart and in my being. And so my summers when I was in college, I would spend in Nashville with internships and trying to get to know anyone I could. And just seeing if I really loved Nashville, if I vibed with the city. And every single time I went, I just loved it. I loved it. And then, fast forward six years, I did two years of high school and four years of college in Los Angeles. And then in 2013, I graduated, like in May. And then in June, I was in my car with my two best guy friends driving across the country. My car was all packed up with my stuff. And I went to this big music festival called Bonnaroo that weekend um, when we finally got there in like June and then like that Monday I started writing. 
L.A. is such a wonderful and magical place, but it was definitely for a season. I'm just a Southern girl. I like being in the South. It's a different feel. It's a different vibe. I moved to Nashville in 2013 after graduating college. I feel like Nashville is just where you need to be to make your dreams happen in country music. I think there's other places. You can make your country music thing happen in Austin, Texas. You can make it happen in Los Angeles, but really the mecca of country music and the history, it all runs so deep in Nashville and in Tennessee. My name is Zach Kuhn and I'm from New York City. So on this run, I'm tour managing Olivia and the guys, and I make sure that they stay out of trouble and show up to the gig on time. You might hear the word America or USA in a country song, but I think a lot of what people sing about is very universal to people all over the world. You know, about heartbreak and, you know, loving your mother and, and you know, so many other elements that are common in country music. I think it's universal to everyone, so it's really cool to see it making overseas and sort of not being just an American form of music. I think my first year in Nashville was wonderful, amazing, chaotic, and a little bit hard because for a long time, I was playing other parts. I was given a script and told to tell that story. But when I got to Nashville and when you're a songwriter, and especially a songwriter who's an artist and trying to do their own artist thing, I'm writing about my life and what inspires me. And that... Um, there was really never any room for that in acting because, you know, you're playing another part. I was kind of all over the place of like, I started with like, well, I just need to learn as much as I can from other people and just listen to them. But at some point, those are all other people's opinions. At some point, the pendulum has to swing all the way to the other side where it's like, these are my ideas and they're important and I have to fight for them. So I constantly teetered on that pendulum probably for the first couple of years, where I was like, well, who am I? What do I want to say? Why don't people like these ideas? Is this idea worth fighting for? Am I just not the best songwriter yet? And maybe I should just keep listening to people and let them infiltrate my songwriting process. My toolbox was, well, I've played a lot of parts and I, I've seen a lot of different lives, but I don't actually know what I want to say. I finally feel like five years later, I've really found my thing, and I found my confidence. So I have a song called Quarter Life Crisis, and it talks all about that. Um, so I, when I was writing this song, I was 25, and 25 was not a great year for me. I don't know why, but there's this term called Quarter Life Crisis, and it's just like, oh my God, I'm 25, which means I'm halfway to 30, which means I'm almost to 40. You know, it's just you start spiraling. And I wanted to write a song about it, because again, me and my friends, it's such an adjustment coming out of school and realizing that real life is so different from what you've been raised with. Your early 20s, 21, 22, 23, they're so wildly different. You learn so many wild lessons and you really think you know who you are, <laughs> but you don't. And I look back on, on those years of my life and I'm just like, oh my God, who was that girl? About 26 was when I really started to understand who I was and what my passions were and what I stood for as a human. And I think that just comes with age. I think it just comes with time. It comes with age. Um, and it also, it comes with intention of wanting to get to know yourself. My name is Olivia Lane, and the motto that made me who I am is if you can dream it, do it. 
I think that phrase was instilled in me from a really young age from my parents. And I'm very blessed that I was given by God an amazing pair of parents because they raised me and my sister to be really strong and really passionate about what we do. I was about six years old when I played my first part in a musical. My first part in a musical was Jan in Greece. The quirkiest part, of course, I get that part because I'm just so quirky, but I remember seeing my parents in the audience and I remember doing this little bit in the movie. It's like a brush a brush a brush a song. And it, and it just made everybody laugh. And I remember being like, oh, I love this feeling of entertaining people. I love making people laugh and feeling lighter. And that was super informative. I remember looking out into the audience and seeing my parents. I was probably in first grade. And I just remember being like, oh, this is good. Like, I really love this feeling. And I think they saw that in me. And I think that's where it really started. I, I, with whatever medium I was doing, I liked making people feel happy. So my mom and I, to prepare for my roles, would sit in the living room and just run lines because I needed to memorize my lines first before I could, you know, bring any character to them. It was always just like our living room couch sessions. And my mom would sit there and we'd run lines and then she'd be like, try it this way. And so I'd be like, there was this little song. It was like, brush up, brush up, brush up. And it's like Jan's iconic part in that movie. Um, and we practiced it a bunch of different ways. And I was just so quirky that my mom was like, you got that part down. <laughs> Let's work on the other line, shall we? Um, but she really, again, she was like, she really pushed me. She's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's run lines. Let's do it again. She instilled that hard worker in me. Yeah, she would just sit there and make me drill lines. And those are some of the fondest memories because I think that's really where the dreamer and the hard worker came together at a really young age for me, even though I, I didn't really know what was happening um, at the time. But that's where it started. And she saw this dreamer sort of coming to fruition. As a kid, you're fearless. You dream anything. Someone tells you you're a firefighter, I'm a firefighter. You know, like you believe it. And some, somewhere down the line, with adulting and growing up in the world and just reality, you can lose that, that dreamer in you. You can lose that sort of childlike wonder toward the world. I had this choir teacher, Joel Pressman, may he rest in peace, but he was he was so mean. He was so bitter and just just a cranky old man. I mean, he was so cranky, but he also, too, like saw this dreamer in me. And even this cranky old man had the heart to always pull me aside and just say, hey, like, you are talented. Like, you're you're good at this. Like, keep going. And as a dreamer, you have to have people in your life who tell you that. It's so important because you will grow up and you will have people stomp all over your dreams because a lot of people didn't have parents or they didn't have a caretaker that told them that you're worthy and you can go after your dreams. And then I also had a fabulous guitar teacher in Los Angeles who really, who really was a great mentor for me. He showed me... 
He showed me music beyond just what was on pop radio. He showed me all of the great classics of the 60s and 70s, mellow classic rock. And again, he was like, you are a great guitar player. You can do this. So I think it's just really, really important to have people in your life who tell you that you can do it. And, you know, if you can dream it, do it. You know, you also have to have some perspective and you have to have people who give you tough love when when you don't do something right. You have to make sure your ego is put aside and you're open to listening to it. Um, I think, you know, there's a business part of being a dreamer as well as you get older, but you have to maintain that that fire and and maintain people around it, like around that fire who keep it lit. I think being a dreamer, it's a muscle you have to work on. I had these convictions and I never squashed them. And I had people around me who never squashed them. So I think the first step in being a dreamer is if you have a dream, you just have to go for it. No fear. I mean, there can be like little fears, but no fear in actually going for it. Like, for example, just go to L.A. Just ask your parents. Just do it. Just figure it out. Somehow I did it. I look back on that and I'm just like, what did I say to convince them? What did I do? Because that's a huge move. Like, that's a huge life change. Um, But I did because I just had this fire inside of me that I didn't squash. And so I did that and just tiny things of like, well, I'm going to go for this audition and I'm going to walk in the room. And no matter how many times I failed, I just kept going. Um, You cannot let failure Another step to you cannot let failure deter you or squash your dreams. It's going to be part of the process. I'm really sorry. You're going to fail many, 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 many times. And then after that, you're going to fail even more. But it's all going to lead you to a path that makes you who you are and shapes you as a person. Step one, don't squash that fiery conviction and dreamer-like sensibility of you. Two, you're going to fail. Those are two steps. So I would say the third step is give yourself time. You have to give yourself time. I wish I would have given myself more time and more grace, uh, especially in the first few years of Nashville, because I ended up not giving myself the ample amount of time, and it ended up coming back to bite me in the booty because I lost my voice. And I was super, super heavy grinding it out on the road. And I wasn't taking care of myself because in your early 20s, you don't know how to take care of yourself. Um, Staying up late, drinking, playing four-hour gigs in in the van every morning, driving to a new city with four smelly dudes. I mean, I, I did it. And... It broke my body, literally. And I wish I would have given myself more time to become a more developed songwriter and artist before getting out on the road. But hindsight's twenty twenty because that failure opportunity was a growth opportunity. Every failure opportunity is an opportunity for growth. But I did, I did know I needed to take a break and I had to give myself time. And that was really, really hard, again, telling my team of like 10 people, who have, you know, I give them jobs. Hey, I have to take a break. That's a really, really tough conversation to have. But 
when I took those two, like year and a half, two years to myself and gave myself time and gave myself grace and learned how to take care of myself, I went to therapy. I read, I read every book that I could about, you know, healing me and learning about myself. It was the greatest gift I could have given to myself because I actually ended up learning so much about myself, so much about of what fills me up as a person. I, 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 uh, I healed a lot of childhood wounds that were. Uh, not healthy to my thought patterns and not conducive to making me the best artist I could be. And I just gave myself time to grow. The feeling when I was young of the moment before the lights come up, the quiet, the stillness, the peace, the excitement, the nervousness, I feel like it's very similar today. But I have found actually moments in my non-stage life to do that and I think that was important for me it's those little moments you know of making yourself coffee in the morning and finding your still and finding that feeling of centering yourself for the day that really fill me up as a person and I really need that whether it's meditation whether it's I don't know just five minutes to yourself to be like how am I doing today check in with myself what's going on up there in that Olivia Lane brain But before the chaos of the day starts, I have to have a centering moment. And I think, again, it's like before that chaos of the show starts and you're going, there's that moment of quiet. Even with relationships, like I am recently single, um, but I had to take a beat on being in relationships because I didn't know what I wanted. I didn't know who, what kind of love I needed. Um, And I'm still figuring that out. But I'm, I'm getting closer because I'm, I'm getting to know myself really, really well. But taking a beat and just being like, how do I want to be loved? What kind of love do I want to give? Because that's important. Just a partner to see you and hear you. I think we're here to connect and we're here to communicate. So don't squash your fiery passion. Fail. Fail again. Fail better because it's leading you to a path. And another tidbit of advice, step number three, give yourself time because you deserve it. Life is short, but it's also, it's long. Sharing stories is the most powerful thing we can do. If you enjoyed this episode, hit the share button on your podcast app and send it to a friend. If you're a music creative and are interested in featuring on the show, please get in touch with us via our social media channels using the handle at Don't Skip Media at D-O-N-T-S-K-I-P-M-E-D-I-A. Thank you.